On behalf of the priests, sisters, and staff here at Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church, I wish you all a very Merry Christmas, most especially our visitors who may be with us for the first time. Welcome, we're glad you are here. And a special welcome to our college students who have come to celebrate with their families. We welcome you home as well. Know of my prayers for each of you this evening and throughout the Christmas season as we celebrate Christ's birth. So this past Wednesday, in the chaos of Christmas preparation, on my day off, I shuttled my mother to physical therapy as she is recovering from a knee replacement. Different from previous weeks of physical therapy, I also took, you ready for this, my sister's six children ages four through ten. So after the appointment, we went to see a movie, a Christmas tradition that I started like a fool. The movie was preceded by lunch at Chick-fil-A as we waited for physical therapy to end. My brother-in-law has been out of town for business recently, so one of my Christmas presents to my sister was to stretch out our time for six whole kid-free hours of peace and quiet, something that I do probably on a quarterly basis. Mothers, affirmation, please. Affirmation, yes. That's good. As we headed out the door, my sister put out a warning flare, though. Just so you know, she said, John Paul just is recovering from the flu. As she scanned the others, she was giving me an out, but I surveyed the other five bacteria-laden children, and it was really too late. They were excited. I just couldn't say no as an uncle, so I pressed on like a Civil War general, and off we went to get in the van as I prayed one of the most authentic prayers of my entire life. Dear God, please don't make them puke on me. I don't do bodily fluids of any kind. Incidentally, Cecilia got the flu two hours after we got home, which increased my faith in fact that there is a God and he loves me. So we watched Mary Poppins. Actually, they watched Mary Poppins as the favorite uncle. I just ran back and forth getting popcorn, an endless supply of candy, endless supply of sodas, which could account for Cecilia's upset stomach. And the soda also prompted multiple bathroom trips where I stood guard in front of the family restroom. And at that point, I want to say to you, thank God for celibacy, right? It's just, it is a trying thing with all those children. Part of that is that I have to count. I would never forgive myself if I lost a child. So several hundred times throughout our little excursions, I count children. One, two, three, four, five, six. Start over. One, two, three, four, five, six. Again, one, two, three, four, five, six. Lucy, the youngest, slid under the table at Chick-fil-A, and I nearly had a heart attack. One, two, three, four, five. My God, where is that child? I also take attendance and do a census in the car, starting at the top. Grandma, here. Isabella, here. Kateri, here. John Paul, Gabriel, Cecilia, and Lucy, here. They're all here, thank God. That regular kid census gives me a peace of mind and also puts the juvenile delinquents on notice. That is, I am the boss until we return safely to your mother. And I run a tight ship equals control, and it was the same in scriptural times. Our gospel today begins with counting, a census of the whole known world. This meant, of course, that the Roman Empire controlled everything. To those within its orbit, that seemed to be, and practically was, the whole world. There was no escaping the power of the Roman Empire. 
Mary and Joseph and just two of the little people forced on the road, lives and livelihoods disrupted because the empire decided to flex its muscles. The objective, of course, was cash. Rome was registering and counting its people in order to tax them. The empire, the empire claimed to be altruistic, altruistic, and doubtless it did bring some benefits to the people, but in the end, it was about money, and it was about control. The book of Revelation predicts the empire's demise. The merchants, the, uh, the Re Revelation says, of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, scented wood, ivory, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, flour, and wheat, and cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves. That is human souls. Joseph and Mary are two of the human souls caught up in this vast worldwide prosperity-making machine. And the census was an exercise in power by a regime which sacred history would ultimately judge as an oppressor of God's holy people. But disruptive as it was, the supernatural effect of the census was to enable the pawns in the Roman Empire to rediscover their true identity and heritage because they came home. For everyone who returned to their own city and roots, to the house and family from which their ancestors had come. And we talk a lot about progress today, onward and upward. Scripture also calls us to push for human progress, but it's in a slightly different way. That is, toward a new heaven and a new earth. Scripturally speaking, progress begins by surveying the past and making restitution. As the Baptist said in the desert, return, turn back, and repent. For God, newness requires willingness to go back to our roots and to let go of our worldly vices and start again with a stronger commitment to God and his will in our lives. But again and again, the tides of history are set on making the gospel irrelevant and unnecessary. That in the end, we don't need a savior. But God calls his people again to come out of the worldly city, out of the harsh Roman Empire, or out of whatever Rome of our day is, and return home, back to the basics. So Joseph returns to the town of David, Bethlehem, not to Jerusalem, the city where David was the great king of Israel, but to the place where David began as a humble shepherd. It is in Bethlehem, which means house of bread, that it was foretold that the new king, the long-awaited Messiah, would be born. Later, he was proclaimed by the angels and worshipped by a band of shady shepherds and adored by wise men from the east. Every Christmas, we return to the Bethlehem manger. What brings us here? Are we here because, we f because fall has given way to winter and in the darkness of these days we bring out our secular trappings that for some are become the essence of Christmas? Or are we true believers? Are we convinced that Jesus is the essence of the story that has changed the whole of human history? 
For St. Luke, the decree of Augustus and the death group of the Roman Empire are not the story. For Augustus and every leader following him and the entire Roman Empire are gone. They are only the setting for the real story when Mary and Joseph opened their hearts to their firstborn son and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So what truly brings them to Bethlehem is the word of God, the invitation of the angel Gabriel, and Mary's obedience to him. You know, I've been to Bethlehem. Still today, minus a few churches, there isn't anything really to point to it as some uh, great destination. You won't read a lot about it in the headlines about Jesus, even in his day. The important story is the stirring of God's word in the hearts of all his faithful, drawing them back to the manger to feast their eyes on God's son became man, lying where the ox and the ass have feasted. The manger in Bethlehem is the place where everything in life begins. For unto us a child is given, who is our Messiah, who saves us from our sins. The census was about power, a relentless pursuit of money, and oppressive control. C.S. Lewis once said that God is relentless too, constantly giving his love to us no matter what sins we have committed. In turn, as followers of the newborn king, we should have a census of our own. But instead of counting money or domination over others, maybe we can count the many good deeds we do in his name. If you are young, maybe you can count the numbers of times that you are obedient to your mother and father over Christmas break. Fourth commandment, right? That includes college students, by the way, your welcome parents. Maybe we can start counting the number of times that we are generous to the poor and the forgotten. Perhaps it would be a good time to take a census of how many times we opt for the Christ child, communing with him in prayer over other worldly pursuits. Maybe we can count the people in our lives that we share the good news of the manger in Bethlehem and the Christ child, our Savior that was born there. Let us, yes, count the things that in the end will make us happy, that is, in this life and also in the next. Amen.